Our scripture reading for today is Luke 7, 36 through 50. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask full of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. And now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? And Simon answered, The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, You have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house, and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say to themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is the word of the Lord. Holly read that so well. I think I, we can close in prayer. Amen. <laughs> Come here. Yeah. <sighs> Epiphany, as we've been saying, is a season for seeing how Christ first appearing uh, takes our breath away. Uh, and we're stepping into Luke's gospel. And one commentator that I read in preparing on this passage says, this might be his most well-told, his most exquisite portrait. It's, it's like Rembrandt's The Prodigal. It's just so well-told, and it so well captures the deny, dynamic that all of us need to enter into so that not Jesus' epiphany, as we said in the beginning, becomes an epiphany within us. Uh, so we're looking this morning from this story, uh, the contrast between two kinds of people, uh, about the beautiful truth about Jesus as the forgiver of our great debts. Uh, we'll look at it in this way. We'll say, who gets their debt, great debts forgiven? Uh, who misses out on Jesus' forgiveness? And then what's the difference between the two? Uh, who gets their great debts forgiven? Who misses out on Jesus' forgiveness? And what's the difference between the two? The woman had heard word on the street that a Pharisee was actually risking inviting Jesus into his home. Uh, there was growing uh, conflict between Jesus and the Pharisees, so she was amazed. 
but she most likely, in light of where Luke puts this story, had felt deep conviction over her lifestyle because of the preaching of John the Baptist. You see, she was a woman of the city, a great sinner. And everyone probably in this room and in the room in which she's about to enter knows it. There was a custom in the time that people who had wealth would share a table together. And those who were kind of on the outsides and outskirts of being socially acceptable could actually come into the place where the insiders were having their meal, but they could not sit at the table. Uh, But they could pick up the scraps from those sitting around it. Uh, The custom at that time was to lean forward. There weren't chairs around a table. It was a low-setting table that they would have put their elbow on, their feet behind them, and she ventures into the room, feeling deep conviction over the great magnitude of her sin. She inches closer to Jesus. He's not looking at her. She's longing to anoint his head with oil. She's got this little alabaster flask around her neck that was essential for her business uh, to smell smell good from the perfume. She's now bringing it to anoint on Jesus' head, but she can't get that close before she's overcome. Knowing the depth of her sin, experiencing the presence of Jesus and his holiness, she begins to weep. And she is so undone. Her tears fall on Jesus' feet, sitting behind him. So awkward, she bends down and makes the situation even more awkward because she unbinds her hair. No respectable woman would have done that at that time. And she begins to wipe off her tears from Jesus' feet. Here's what gets her. He doesn't recoil. He knows how dirty she is. But he lets her come close. Overwhelmed by such grace and the magnitude of her sin, she lifts Jesus' feet that she's wiped clean and begins to kiss them. At the end of the story, Jesus is looking at her and talking to the rest of the room but wants her to hear, Woman, your sins, which are many, are forgiven. Go in shalom, peace, wholeness. Not just that everything's okay, but all your untogetherness gets healed and incorporated into Jesus' healing touch in your life. Who gets the forgiveness of our great deaths? It's the sinful weeping woman. What's she feeling? I'm so dirty. What is she experiencing? He's letting me come close. And he doesn't recoil. And what does she hear? She hears, woman, your sins, which are many, not discounting them at all. They are forgiven. Go in peace. You see, some of us are like this sinful woman. Uh, The magnitude of our sin is so great, we feel too dirty for Jesus. 
For some of us, it was something that happened to us at a really vulnerable time where our dignity was violated, and so we go through life in the world feeling too dirty. Uh, Some of us consequently, or maybe independently of that, have done just horrific things. Uh, In any culture, sexual sin kind of comes to the fore, and she had violated uh, what God had laid out clearly in his law. So she gets the magnitude of her sin, but because he doesn't recoil, she learns what you and I need to learn when we feel too dirty for Jesus. Jesus lets you come close. He doesn't wince. He's not repulsed. I had a friend one time who was struggling in the sexual arena. I won't go into what it was, but as he revealed that to his pastor, he told me he'll never forget this. His pastor shoved away from the table to get as far away from him as he could get. And it was clear that the pastor too was too repulsed to stay in relationship with Jesus. Jesus doesn't back off. He doesn't wince. No matter how deep the magnitude of your sin, he welcomes you to experience his touch. Uh, There's a hymn that captures it. It's probably my favorite of any hymn from Come Ye Sinners. We don't use that language now. Uh, But the concept is clear and profound. Let not conscience make you linger. You heard this? Nor of fitness fondly dream. All the fitness he requires is to feel your need of him. You see, you can't be too dirty to come to Jesus. He will let you touch him, and he will touch you. And when that experience ignites, that's a gospel reality in our hearts and our lives, we'll break our little alabaster flask of things that are so important to it in an affectionate display of our love for Jesus too. The woman who gets her great debts forgiven is the sinful, weeping woman. Uh, The one who misses out on Jesus' forgiveness is this extremely self-righteous, insider kind of very knowledgeable Pharisee. You see, what's most on his heart is the magnitude, not of his own sin, but of the woman's. Uh, Look at verse uh, 39. Let's pick up the narrative. Now, when the Pharisees who had invited, Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, we've seen that that's the major motif that people are starting to connect the dots to about who Jesus is. He's a prophet. So he's testing in this exchange if he actually is a prophet and his evaluation doesn't come out favorably towards Jesus. If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Now he's talking to himself. But Jesus, in this case and many others, when self-righteous dialogue is circling in our minds and our hearts, knows our minds and our hearts so well that he goes after it. And he says in verse 44, then turning to the woman, he said to Simon. Now, if I did that in a conversation with you, if I was looking at someone else and talking to you, that would be awkward. But, But imagine you're at the table And the woman is behind at Jesus' feet. And you are responding to what's happening there is you can't believe that Jesus, a prophet, would let this filthy woman touch him. Jesus looks to the woman because he's wanting Simon to get 
what he's desperately missing and this woman is experiencing. He says this, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. You see, the Pharisee, as he sees the woman, is overwhelmed with the magnity of her sin, and he is really happy with his own rightness. He knows more than she does. He's behaved in the arena that she's sinned greatly in uh, <clears throat> with integrity. Uh, he sees a great difference between him and her. But Jesus is actually, when he says, Simon, I have something to tell, tell you. He's saying to all of us this morning, he said, I want you to know I'm reading the dialogue of your heart. And you think that she's worse than you. But I want you to look at her so that you can see that the magnitude of your sin is just as great as hers. He's actually offering the Pharisee, Simon, a chance to repent of his idol. We're not told from the story that he will go there. And so the point of the story is asking, if you identify with Simon in this story, what will you do in seeing the affection that this woman has for Jesus because she gets the magnitude of her own sin? Uh, years ago, when I was a campus minister at UGA, uh, we kind of fell into uh, people who were a lot like this woman. Uh, one of the guys on my team had led three Theta Chi's to faith in Jesus. Uh, and everyone had kind of condemned the Greek scene at the University of Georgia as being too far from the reach of Jesus. But after three years of kind of logging time and driving them home from parties when he needed to and hearing all about their lives, uh, they came to the end of their immorality and they discovered Jesus. And so we just kind of fell into that of moving towards people uh, letting them touch us, though their lifestyle would have been offensive to Christians, becoming curious about them, and increasingly they felt safe enough to come clean about the addictions and struggles in their lives. And over and over and over, people came to know Jesus, who had ec no exterior qualifications that would warrant uh, following his law at all. As our ministry grew about three years in, it had grown from like 30 to, we probably were 300 to 400 at that time. I experienced a new kind of student. They would get, want to get together with me and interview me. And I discovered they wanted to interview me to see if our ministry was good enough for them to be a part of. Uh, and so these very large Atlanta churches, I won't mention their names, <laughs> uh, although I did at the time, uh, we began to have students visit and interview us. They were kind of in the same posture as Simon. They felt like we weren't doing it right. And here's what I learned. The more we oriented our ministry 
around their expectations and the way we weren't doing it right, the less we were able to reach sinners like the sinful woman. We all need to be at a place where we're not enforcers of our theological, our moral, our political, whichever aspect you are, uh, rightness on people, but we are a people who let Jesus interview us so that we can see the depth of and magnitude of our own sin. When we minimize the sin of others, we're missing affection for Jesus. That George Whitfield, who has influenced me greatly, uh, said this in one of his sermons. I've never gotten over it. Is Christ your sanctification as well as your outward righteousness? If you're justified by the blood, you are also sanctified by the Spirit of the Lord. Can you then in this sense say, the Lord our righteousness? Were you never made to abhor yourselves for your actual and original sins and to loathe your right, own righteousness as filthy rags? Were you ever, never made to see and admire the all-sufficiency of Christ's righteousness and excited by the Spirit of God to hunger and thirst after it? Could you ever say, nothing but Christ? Give me Christ, O God, and I am satisfied. Was this I see, I say, ever the language of your hearts? Those of us who identify with Simon need to repent of our filthy rags of righteousness and become enamored with the Jesus who lets us touch him despite the dirtiness and filth and sin in our lives. What's the difference between the two? Look at the story that Jesus tells, picking up in verse 40. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. If Jesus ever says that to you, look out, <laughs> because look what's coming. And he answered, say it, teacher. The tension is tight. A certain money lender had two, great debt had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii. That's like probably two and a half years of income, about, five, let's call it 500, I don't know what you're making, $500,000 or so, and the other 50. Uh, that would be the average worker in that day would uh, earn one denarii a day. So it's some, but it's nowhere near the 500,000. Uh, now, which of them, when, uh, when they could not pay, he canceled the debt, verse 42. He canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Now Simon could calculate the truthfulness of that parable. The question is, could he calculate it in terms that his debt was as great as the woman's? You see, it wasn't hard for the woman to know that she owed 500 denarii, too much that she could ever repay. And because of the cultural acceptability of Simon's sin in comparison to her, it looked as if he only owed 50 denarii. What Jesus is longing for him to say is when you really get the magnitude and depth of your own sin against Jesus, you realize that he is the canceler of great debts. You go from looking at other sin as greater than yours to believing that you are worse than the greatest of sinners. That's the place where we can find Christ for those of us who are oriented like Simon. I've been reading through old journals 
to process my life and even more so my marriage to Marilyn. I've seen two things. I sinned like it was going out of style. Like daily struggles of sin, either against Marilyn or my kids. And when I actually happened to make it through a day without observing that, I would see how I created an idol out of ministry and things going well and ministry being an avenue for me to feel good about me. Um, I relentlessly daily had to confess my sin and how I would go there is I would confess my surface level sin, but I'd keep asking why until I got to the idolatry operative in my heart. And here's what I would often find that would unmask my self-righteousness and lead me to a better place like this sinful woman. I would see this. I got angry at my kids. But the why underneath that was I loved order and hated chaos so much that I would over and over again choose order over Jesus. And when I would compare my idolatry of a over love, over desire for order with the beauty and wonder of Jesus, then I would weep to see the idolatry of my own sin. As I would explore my idolatry of ministry, it would often come down to what I said. I, I wanted to be loved and liked and affirmed and have impact. Uh, but when that became the controlling thing in my heart and life, uh, I would see that I longed for control, uh, impact and control and being well-liked more than Jesus. And then it would lead me to a place, even in my self-righteousness, where I could weep over my sin. If you're Simon this morning, like me, we need to see our sin is far worse off than we ever imagined. If you are like this woman, and I'm twisted enough, many times I'm both. <laughs> uh, if you see the weight of your sin and the beauty and wonder of Christ letting you touch him in your filth, then when you see that, you're far more loved than you ever dare dream. Here's the reality that Jesus wants us to know this morning. You can't be too bad for him, but you can be too good. So let's be a people who come to this table this morning knowing we're far worse off than we ever imagined. Our debt is too great, but because of Jesus' sacrifice, we're far more loved than we ever dare dream. Let's pray. Spirit of God, would you lead us to the place of this woman? Uh, would you stir our affections that our heinous, scandalous sin, our deepened, self-righteous idolatry is far worse off than we could diagnose about ourselves. And when we come into contact with Jesus as we experience his touch, and even his embrace, he floods over us that he is the great debt forgiver. He cleanses us from our sin, restores us to the shalom for which we are made, and tells us to, to go from here in peace. Would you do that in our hearts? 
Would you do that in our lives? Would you do that in our fellowship? Would you do that as we come and celebrate your table together? We pray in Jesus' name, amen.